Well, by the way, Doctor, is mystery your sole pleasure? Young man, what could be more pleasant than mystery? Well, music, for instance. Music, why, of course. You already know what it is. Orion Radio back with your host Kia Orion. This week, um, I'm not going to do a huge intro again just because it's late. It's currently Sunday night. I'm putting this up. It's going up for y'all tomorrow morning, Monday morning. Um, and, you know, it's the same old, same old with the boy. As far as uh, music goes, though, I want to give a quick um, update. Um, or not even an update, but more kind of on what shit that I've been into. This dude, Roy Woods, just dropped the album, which I thought was great. Uh, it's called Say Less. He's on OVO. He's like one of Drake's uh, sort of, you know, prodigies. And this album was good, but then but then I ended up hearing some of his old stuff, which I thought was next level. So I think it's called Breaking at Dawn. Check that out by Roy Woods. I thought it was, I don't know why, it's been out for a minute, but I'm sleeping on it. And then also Miguel just dropped the album, um, Warren Leisure, which I've had on repeat all day today this whole weekend. So... If you're looking for new music, two recommendations. Um, as far as this week, the guest I have, um, his name's Larry Brown. Uh, I met because he helped my brother purchase his first house. So uh, Larry kind of found the spot, showed it to my bro, talked to him about it. And so then when they closed on the house, all the deal was done. We went out to dinner. I got to talk to Larry a little bit. I realized that a really he was from Philly. West Philly had a really interesting story about how he, some things we get into, how he was in his last semester of college, and then the university pulled his financial aid, so and so he had to drop out, and then kind of taking that experience and morphing it into an opportunity um, to work with his dad and sort of learn the game, a little bit of real estate, and now... The first bit is about Larry, and then the second bit is just me being a dumbass and asking him a bunch of questions about sort of the behind the scenes of what it's like as a real estate agent. So if you're into real estate, if you're into what goes into um, buying, selling, flipping houses, property, whatever, uh, this is going to be really interesting for you. We don't talk a ton about music. This is more about business. Larry's about the hustle. Um, If you follow him at all on social media, which I'll put all those in the show notes, you realize this man is about what I respect about Larry, and I say this to his face, is he's about making your own. You make your own reality, and you know that's something I touch on a lot. I know it's beating a dead horse, but you really do, man. This life is choices, and Larry talks a lot about that, especially as a real estate agent, is that you eat what you kill. So, you know, it there's so much out there that I think kind of inhibits us from doing what we want, you know, whether it's Netflix, whether it's, you know, whatever your vice is, put that in here. And he's like, if I'm doing that, I'm, I'm losing money. I'm not getting, you know, I'm, I might not eat if I don't, if I don't, you know, close on these properties. So this, this week, Larry, phenomenal dude. He was super busy. He was, you know, running in between this and that. I appreciate him uh, having me down to the office. We chop it up. And uh, 
Again, all of this stuff is in the show notes. If you're interested in property at all, this is the one for you. Thank you again to Larry. Shout out, y'all. Appreciate you guys listening. All right. Deuces. you know um tell the folks a little bit about uh who you are and what you do so my name is larry brown i am with the keller williams philly office over on 728 south broad street and i pretty much do anything related to real estate i was in property management for three years dealing with rentals helping the big fish who didn't have time to deal with their own properties you know manage those and find new clients different things like that uh now i'm mostly into helping people buy sell help investors to flip you know figure out how to get the most money on their returns for different properties things like that regular west philly guy grew up just like everybody else you know (laughs) went to west catholic high school okay that's what's up yeah so you know i'm here now and um we here baby uh (laughs) and so that's kind of you know taking it back that's kind of a good place to start i think like you mentioned west philly um I met you because my big bro was purchasing a house. He wanted somebody that, uh, you know, knew the neighborhood and wasn't, uh, I'm not sure how to say this in a politically correct way, but wasn't just about making quick cash, getting the house and moving on. Um, You know, he'd had some experiences with folks in the past. And I remember when he came home, we were living together at the time. And he was telling me about you. He's like, yo, I met this dude. He knows what's up. He gets my vision. And I'm not sure if it's the Keller Williams brand or not i i saw it and it made me smile was it was um it was like uh something that has something to do with heart it was like realty with heart or something like that yeah. and i was like that's what's up um and so to take it back to west philly to kind of bring it around um where which part of west philly specifically are you from so i am from the what's called carol's park section so it's right off of gerard avenue over by uh Closer to 58th Street is where oh. I grew up. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I'm like 10 minutes from the the city zoo if I just jump on a trolley and oh, head down. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah. Um, are mom and dad from Philly? Yeah, they are. Okay, so it, go, it goes back a little ways. Yeah. All right, and um, what did mom and dad do? So my mom right now is a manager over at the hospital for the dietary section. Oh, cool. Uh, my father is right now running multiple uh, businesses, mainly uh, what he's doing is he's also in property management. Oh, um, so snap. he, but he himself buys different properties, fixes them up, rents them out. You know, and I've we just started working recently together oh, shit. to try to take his business to the next level. So that's what's up. Yeah. I thought you were gonna say trying to just take his business. <laughs> nah, like, like, damn, are you cold? <laughs> nah, not yet. I'm gonna let him have another couple not of yet. years. Let right. some Luke Skywalker, right. J- yeah. Darth Vader type shit. Um, <laughs> wait. So growing up. I, you mean you may have honestly told me that before, and I'm just a dumbass and forgot. But did is that partially what inspired the property management hustle side of you? Was seeing pops do it, or did he? Was that kind of something you got into, and he got into it later? So it's funny that you mention it like that because it's really it really was no set plan for it. I went to college at Seton Hall University um, for a couple of years for psychology. 
mainly because I wanted to do something where I had some flexibility. I didn't want to be a regular nine to five sitting in the office kind of guy. Yeah. So um, things didn't work out there, unfortunately, because of how expensive the school was. So my goal was, let me work for a couple of years, you know, and I'll finish my last year out strong, just pay for it out of pocket, no more loans or anything like that. Oh, man. So when I came home, um, my father basically needed help running his business. So a year in, he basically let me run the business by myself while he did other things. And then after that, you know, I kind of felt like I hit a ceiling where I was making good money, but I was I was trading my time for it. Yeah. And I needed to do something where I could have more time to grow and develop in different things and still make that kind of money. So, so I came over to real estate uh, with Keller Williams. And when you were kind of helping pops with that, um, when you take me back sort of even a step before that, um, when you went, you said psychology was your yeah. major. So in high school, you know, high school, Larry, throwback. <laughs> what What's high school Larry into? Are you playing sports? You're into basketball. Basket, because you talk. Yeah, yeah. So I could tell you probably hoop. Yeah. yeah. Um, were you thinking of trying to get a scholarship for basketball or something in high school? What I was, um, like every other kid yeah. playing sports, you know, and the difference between me and them was I was focused on the present. Hmm. I never really was much of a long-term thinking kind of guy to, you know, to my own downfall. Um, but I got up every morning and worked harder than anybody else yeah. at, at the school. And they uh, eventually made me captain for my work ethic. Um, and I did try to walk on at Seton Hall University. That didn't work out so well, thanks to Bobby Gonzalez, who's probably <laughs> locked up somewhere for something stupid. Um, was that the coach? Yeah, that was the coach <laughs> at the time. And, um, Shout out to him. Yeah, so yeah, my goal was definitely play basketball as long as possible, get a scholarship if I can. Um, thank, I just thank God I was smart enough to yeah. get in based off my grades and get the money that I did. Absolutely, man. Yeah. I feel like that's, especially in high school, you know, because I've been subbing and shit for a minute, talking to these young guys. You can get pretty far on just your natural talent. Right. And then I think that's probably the oh, – there's somewhere in there, late high school, early college, when there's a cutoff when it then boils down to who wants it more and right. hard work. And that starts to come through where you get to that level. And I think it might be that college when when you get there and you're like, oh, everybody's dope. So now I actually got to put the work in. Right. You know what I mean? Where a lot of high school guys, I talk to them and they talk about just fucking around and this and that. And like, like, yeah, hey, I want to be LeBron. I'm like, but are you working? Like, right. the, you know, are you making those free shots? Or are you just fucking around, you know, trying right. to, you know, get your dick wet, whatever. <laughs> so like, it's one of those things where that your coach, I try to, it's crazy with it. I'm an old head now, but I try to kick the knowledge of the young dudes that like coaches, there's still people and they see your hustle. You know what I mean? They respect your hard work. And yeah, you might be talented, but though that's cool that they made you captain. I think you're one of those stories where it's like I'm sure you were kicking ass, but also to be like, we see that this guy's got the drive for it. Right. You know what I mean? And so, at what point did what did the coach? Do you feel like it was just a different caliber in college that you just did you get nerves and you know slack on the uh, on the tryouts? What happened? I th I think it was a um um a bunch of different things happening at the time. Um. Mostly that the coach was just an asshole, um, and uh. people don't really realize how much politics are in college basketball till they get there. Uh, myself see. included, man. Yeah. Uh, for the listeners and myself, school us a little bit. Uh, what <laughs> uh, What do you mean by that? So, 
from my understanding, any D1 school is basically obligated to have walk-on tryouts for incoming students who aren't guaranteed scholarships with the team. So my first year, I'm a freshman. I'm thinking I'm coming out of high school. I'm in the best shape of my life so far. Yeah. Let me try out. And there was basically like no way, no shot. Nobody's going to try out. We've got our team, and this is what we're going to do. And so, yeah, so the following year, um, you know, and this is good karma because, you know, he uh, he actually was arrested for stealing a men's bag from the polo store. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. At the mall. And that's uh, crazy. So they replaced him with another coach. And I did eventually get to try out for the walk on. But at that time, it just was it was so competitive. Like and I had no idea of the kind of shape and athleticism that I was going up against and so I think that caught me off guard on top of me actually getting injured from working too hard and not giving myself time to rest you know I realized that it just you know I'm going in my third year at this point after I didn't make the first tryout and I'm just like I need to focus somewhere where I have more control over the outcomes. It's not, I'm not just giving it to somebody, you know, I'm not just giving my future to somebody for a tryout or something. Right. Yeah, that's nerve wracking, man. I don't blame you. It's one of those things where that can be, sports is cutthroat like that, where you're, it's unfortunate that no matter how much you work or whatever, your destiny is really kind of decided by somebody else, which is, I don't blame you. That kind of, Rubs me the wrong way, too. Um, so why psychology? At that point, you know, you got... It was interesting, not too long ago, I was talking to a guy that was playing college football, got injured, and, but he's now into music, runs music stuff. You sports guys somehow shift that hustle into, into <laughs> other areas. At what point did you say, okay, I got injured, this this basketball thing might not be working out after all, where do you go from there? It. I basically had to do soul searching, and that's something that I think a lot of... African-American young men aren't taught to do is to look into themselves and figure like, what do I really want? If this isn't going to work, what does my life look like? Right. And at that point it was, all right, I'm smart enough to be in this school with these, you know, amazingly intelligent individuals. Obviously I have something to offer. So what is that? And I realized that I was good at managing systems and, managing people and expectations and different things like that. So right off the bat, I'm thinking sales. Yeah. Um, I looked into business psychology. Well, like I said, things didn't really work out at Seton Hall. So I, you know, without a psychology degree, there's really nothing you can do psychology related. Yeah. So, um, and so growing up, we used to talk about, you know, young men not necessarily doing much soul searching. Were you, did you have role models that were encouraging you like that? Like, Hey Larry, like, Think about this or that, or were you just kind of out there, you know, doing, what were you doing with your friends? Were you just playing ball? Were you like, you guys think, you said you weren't thinking much about the future? What What were you doing as a young boy? So, growing up, I just was a regular kid, you know, and my mom, and my, my dad wasn't around. He was locked up for most of my life growing up. Mm. So, my mom was always pushing for me to be book smart. Right, it's, you know, because just growing up in West Philly, you're going to pick up the street smarts. Right. Most people, um, so she pushed that side to me. And when she see that I was really taking basketball seriously, she kind of wanted me to stay away from that 
and more so focus on school. She's basically reinforcing the fact that my mind will take me farther. Oh. Um, but she never discouraged me. She she always said, you know, if this is what you want, go for it. Yeah. So I did. But uh, mainly with my friends, just regular kid. I I didn't really have much in common with the people I was around. I was okay. I was you know too smart to hang with the class clowns, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. not smart enough to hang out with the you know four full ride right. you know, scholarship kids. Yeah. So stuck in the middle. Where your was your high school? Um, what was what was the population? Was it African American? Was it white kids? It was, it was, was a it? good mix. It was actually. a good mix. Yeah. Okay. So are you, what group do you end up um, kind of hanging with? Do you hang with the sporty kids? Do you hang with the nerdy kids? What do you who who who's the Larry's crew in high school? Uh man, I didn't I didn't really have a crew. Now that I think about it, I Kinda um is a loner. Yeah, I I was always a leader, not so much by what I was saying, but more so what I was doing. Like if, mm. if everybody was climbing around at practice and I'm taking that, that time that I've got to go ahead and get those free throws in, because I know at the end of the day, that's what matters. And I've never really was one to be looking for acceptance from anybody else or anything. You know, I kind of fit in with everybody yeah. from here and there. So that's just kind of how I lived. I just, you know, float and, you know, do whatever I see fit. Dude, that's what's up. I feel that. Um, it's also challenging, though, too, later on, because it's like those friendships don't necessarily carry over to later in life where, you know, and shout out Big Bro, he's one of those people that still is really tight with his high school homies. Right. You know, and, and I respect that. Some folks just build those relationships, but I I get that. So, um, okay, so we go to college. We're doing the psychology thing. Um, at what point does, after that, does your dad approach you and say, "Hey, Larry, I want you to work with me"? Do you do you have post college plans? Where are you senior year at that point? So it's actually a <clears throat> almost frustrating uh, story how that came about. Um, I'm in my fourth year, and the school like basically overnight pulls one of my grants, and it was a lot of money. So they're basically telling me, "Hey." This is the end of the semester. You've got X amount of days to come out with this amount of money or provide what we need to reinstate your grant or we're going to have to let you go. What was the reasoning for taking it? So apparently because my mother had been denied for like a parent plus loan, um, Mm. something like that, she needed to provide certain uh, tax documents, which at the time – you know, Christmas is coming up. All of these different things are happening, and my mom's working at the same time. So she's like, you know, I don't really know how I'm supposed to come up with this stuff. And you know, I think it was like maybe like two or three weeks. And they also wanted proof that I was working at the Walgreens um, <laughs> while I was in school. And when I called them, they're like, "Oh, we have the files, but it usually takes about a month to extract them." And at that point, I'm just defeated. So I went through every channel I possibly could. Uh, It came down to the wire where all I needed was for the dean to sign off. All my teachers agreed that I could start classes late if need be, and he never did. So, yeah, I just took the loss, packed my stuff up, moved back to West Philly. Damn, man. Dad approached me. He said, listen, you're not in school right now. I could really use help with the business. And then, you know, things just kind of happened from there. That's crazy. I didn't even realize. And where's Seton Hall? Seton Hall's in North Jersey. So it's in North Jersey. Um, How many semesters did you have left? Just one. I had one semester left. Did you ever 
not yet. No. That's <laughs> nuts. You had one semester one left. One semester, yeah. Bro, that's crazy. You know what? Not too long ago, I was talking to a young dude um, from Philly. Temple had one semester left. Got into some shenanigans. Didn't work out. It's right. like... It's a cra- it's crazy how often that happens and it it comes down to like one dean signature. Right. I mean it's like one guy you caught him in a bad mood. It, it, you know some shit was going on with his wife and so he doesn't sign the exactly. papers that day and it's like your whole life trajectory changed. But I mean how things turn out maybe it was for the better <laughs> so fuck him. Um so so how do you handle that mentally? And emotionally, at that point, basketball hasn't worked out. The college thing hasn't worked out. You're moving back home. You know, that is a grown man at that point, too. I don't blame you. That's a hard thing to come to terms with. Like, moving back in with mom, like, you know, your friends are all graduating. What's your mental space like at that point? Wow. So, when I first got back home, obviously, I'm frustrated. I'm like, "This this is not who I... This is not where I saw myself exactly. when I when I left here yeah. uh, four years ago, and when I came back home, my mom was you know on one hand she's like you know this is where you grew up you're always welcome here, uh, but you will need to figure out what you're going to do. So as opposed to me being a burden on her there, I couldn't find work. You know I decided to move into one of uh, my father's properties and manage the building at the same time. And that's really like how I got my first step. Gotcha. Into doing, doing you you approach him with that with that idea, like, "Hey, right. pop, can I live here? But I'll work for you." Right. Exactly. Okay. Cool. So then you start managing that property. How do you know you're going to be able to manage it? Like, how do, like, I don't know how to manage a property. You know what I mean? Like, and this was this was hard because it was like low income, disability, SSI. You know, people who are just in the house all day and. You know, not all of them were bad. Obviously, everybody's got their ups and downs. But this particular house, nobody wanted to live. So he's like, "Yeah, you know, here, take this, take this room. You know, no problem." So it's just, it was a nightmare to begin with. But it built up my tolerance, and I started realizing that you know my patience is like I is through the roof yeah. to be able to live among these people <laughs> who are basically living like animals at this point. That's <laughs> like, crazy. Yeah, so it, it taught me a lot about myself. And at that point, does your dad does he take you under his wing to teach you some things? I mean, managing a property. What's that at that point? What's you're twenty twenty one, managing a property. How many units? So there were four units in this one property. Four but, units. But he had at least 15 or 16. Damn. Yeah. And so what does managing of that property sort of on a day-to-day aspect look like? Are you are you coming knocking on doors saying, where's my rent money? <laughs> are you, what you know, as someone outside of that business, walk me through a little bit what that looks like. So you're basically doing everything if if you're me in this in this situation. My father was very much savvy on the contractor side of things and he was all about hustle but when it comes down to systems and you know tools and different things like that to help you better manage things and give you a flow yeah that wasn't his strong suit at all so gotcha when i first got in that was my first order of businesses to get all this paperwork and stuff organized and filed and set up like a pickup schedule almost for the different properties when the rents are due just to make my life easier. Absolutely. That's huge for small businesses, like getting things in QuickBooks, you know what I mean? Like making sure that things are straight. Everybody's on the same page. It's the first and the 15th, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like that, 
I think in itself, like you said, having those systems in place and those expectations, I don't know if I've never managed property, probably makes it also easier for you and harder for your tenants to try to screw you out of shit. Because, yeah. oh, you told me this. It's like, nah, that's what it is. Company wide. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Right. Like, exactly. That's what it was. Exactly. Um, and so what, how far in before you start to realize you've got kind of a knack for it? Took me probably a year because I didn't I didn't realize how effective I was until uh, my dad's fiance at the time approached me and said, "Your father has been like probably had the most free time he's ever had uh, thanks to you, and you know it looks like you've really got things under control." And you know once I realized that, I said, "Even if it feels like madness, obviously it's just." organized like yeah. organized chaos i guess right yeah so it took me about a year till i realized at that year you're 22 22 so you're yeah. 22 you're 22 you're living in this spot you've been manager for a year do you at what point do you see or do you say to yourself i think i'm going to give this a shot are you still trying to maybe go back to school or are you thinking maybe there's something with the business psychology. Was there a turning point when you said, you know what, I think I might stick with this property shit and actually give it a shot? Well, I didn't, I didn't really, I was just, I was just living it day to day, um, for about two years, two and a half years. Um, coming up on my 24th birthday, uh, me and my father started to bump heads a little bit, Mm. Uh, mostly because he wanted to do things his way and I was already pretty much handling things. So, you know, it was becoming more of a conflict of interest where I can't run it how you want me to run it if you're still going to try and take control over things. And what, was it was it, uh, it one issue in particular? Was it something that kind of comes to mind that was a key component to that? It really became an accountability kind of thing. When things went wrong, uh. you know... I'm easily to blame for <laughs> for anything because you know I'm the one driving the ship essentially. Right. Um, but then there were times where I would definitely like to take the responsibility for something, but I couldn't because it fell on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Like if there was something I most certainly couldn't do, like uh, pay the taxes on a property, for instance, because yeah, it's we're both his name. Man. exactly, gotcha. exactly. So even if I would remind him to do certain things, if they didn't get done, it would be why didn't you remind me? Uh, Which is pretty much how like every CEO, right. or, You know, owner yeah. operates. So it, it, it just, it, but that's also a catch twenty two that there's no real right answer. Exactly. That, because then you remind them, they say, "Hey, hey, get off my case!" Like I got this. Right. You know what I mean, it's exactly. Like, you got to deal with ego. Plus, it's your dad. Shit, right. You got to deal with. Business and family can be can be tricky. Yeah. Um, and so you're 24. You say I've got some experience. How do you transition that into your own career? Uh, so I basically um, just I packed I packed my things up. I said, you know, this isn't really working out. Let me figure something else out. Um, my first move was to try and get a property of my own that I could put money into kind of do the same thing of what I've been doing, maybe rent it out to a family or something like that. Yeah. Um, but it, I, I quickly realized how inexperienced I was on the side of things that he handled as far as like the contract and, and overseeing workers and things like that because I, 
I didn't realize how much money I was spending on just everyday labor materials, things like that before I realized like I'm underwater and I have to, yeah, I have to get out of this situation immediately. So sold that property, moved to the Northeast where I've been for the last two years now. Mm. Yeah. Why'd you move to the Northeast? Well, my, uh, my ideal goal was just to get as far away from West Philly as possible. Yeah. Um, I had gotten, I had gotten too used to people calling on me and just running to the rescue. Yeah. So if I was going to take my business to the next level, I had to detach myself from that and give myself really like nothing, no, no legs to stand on except for my own. Right. So I'm a good half hour, 45 minute drive from the city. Nobody's going to be looking for me. And if they call me, it's obviously an inconvenience for myself and you for have to wait for me to get there. Right. So they'll figure something out. Yeah. So, yeah. You know <laughs> That's what I mean? actually a good strategy. Yeah. Um, and so when, when did things kind of start to click? And you, you kind of started to figure, did you get someone to help you with the contractual side? Did you end up figuring it out on your own? How did it start to turn around? Uh, it didn't really. I, um, like I said, I, I had to sell that house and just get out of the debt that I was in completely. Um, and after I did that, I started taking my real estate courses at Temple University. Oh, I remember you telling me about that. Yeah. Okay, so that's so that at that point you're like I'm doing this thing for real. For real. Did you did you like it? Not at first. Uh like I said, I started out at the Center City office and while they were great over there, it wasn't hands-on enough. So real estate is one of those businesses where it's glitz and glamour from the outside looking in. Yeah. Everybody thinking, "Oh, you guys are making so much money." Right. But when you're in it, it's like, oh, I have to make the money every day. And it's so much to know because when you're a realtor, you have to kind of be a contractor, an accountant, a banker. Counselor. Counselor, definitely that. You know, so it's so much to learn. And it just, I got bogged down with learning for the first four or five months. And it just was like the hardest time of my life. Was that while you were taking classes or after classes? While I was taking classes. While you were taking classes. And so what do those four or five months look like? You're taking classes at night, working during the day? What is... It was a little bit of a a mixed bag. There were some days where I couldn't work because while I'm in the the classes, obviously I'm not working with my father, so I don't have that money now. And I'm not fully licensed to sell real estate, so I don't have that just yet. So I'm working... a strange place to be. Yeah, so I'm working at the vitamin shop in Havertown and doing, like, Lyft and Uber on the side. Really? Yeah, just trying to make ends meet. Yeah, basically. What are you doing at vitamin shop? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What do they call it? A health enthusiast specialist or something like that. Basically selling people a bunch of stuff that may or may not help them in the end. What are you making an hour at that that. point? (sighs) What was I making at that Maybe nine dollars, ten dollars if I was lucky. I think, yeah, That's it was crazy. it was horrible. It was horrible. That's crazy. Yeah, I've been in those before. It's like, hey, but if you got, if you're a salesman like Jay says, you sell water to a well, man. Like, um, as you say, sold drugs. I could probably sell CDs. Yeah, <laughs> business. yeah, definitely. You know what I mean, like, definitely. If if you sell, you salesman, you sell. So you do what you got to do. Um, and so you're driving for Lyft. You're at Vitamin Shop. You're taking classes. Why did you decide to go back and take classes? Was it something you felt that you couldn't get just from the experience? 
Do you need to be a licensed to be a realtor? Yeah, you need to be licensed, and the classes are a prerequisite to that. So before you're able to take the state exam and get your license from Harrisburg, you have to complete uh, maybe like 30 hours of um, classes. How how many classes is that? I think I, I think I might have been in classes for two months, but I was going like two or three times a week. Mm. Yeah, so I just wanted to bang it out and get it over with. Okay, dope. Yeah. So now transitioning a little bit into post struggle, Larry, <laughs> where, where things are starting to pick up a little bit, um, because and one reason for the podcast too is to kind of talk to um, folks who are both in creative and entrepreneurship, um, you know, careers, and sort of pick their brain about. And this is for myself too, sort of like things that have helped them, um, tools, things like that. So you get you get licensed. You are you get you get hired by Keller Williams right away. I interviewed a couple different brokerages at first because I wasn't sure where I was going, where I was going to go, where I was going to fit in, and then eventually I found my home over at Center City, and they hired me. Why did that place feel like home compared to the other ones? Well, for starters, they didn't make it seem like it was just going to be a cakewalk. You know, they they were kind of explained to me like this is a tough business and, you know, you're going to have to prove yourself. Like, we're going to give you that, that chance to do that, but you have to put the work in. And so I appreciated that honesty, whereas I, at other brokerages, you know, it's so nice on the inside and you get caught up talking to all of the agents who are making millions of dollars and you're thinking that this is what it's going to be and nobody's telling you otherwise. So mm-hmm. I appreciated the upfront and the that truth. That they were candid yeah. about it. So when you're, from the outside looking in as, you know, a uh, naive person like myself, so when you come into a firm, you're all there under the same umbrella, but you're all kind of independent contractors? Correct. How does that play out within office dynamics and relationships? So... I mean, it can kind of be like a dog-eat-dog world, Yeah. but I haven't had that happen to me yet. Um, I've only heard stories where agents were stepping on other agents' toes and things like that, but everybody at this office has been extremely supportive. A couple of agents have given me business that they you know, either couldn't handle at the time or just felt like I would be the right guy for it, so... I've had I've had a lot of great experiences with different agents and things like that over here. And why work with an agency rather than just try to do it solo? Well, benefiting? there there are certain benefits to working with someone like Keller Williams, the brand, obviously having somebody like that backing you with you know their in-house techniques and strategies. And the tools, like technology over here is key. Like I have a mobile app that I can share with people. And anytime they want to see a property, it notifies me instantly. So I'm kind of like always front of mind and your go-to guy. And those are definitely key things that I think you need in this business. Dope. Um, So now as someone who's actually been able to kind of do this for a bit, um, how long would you say it's been that you've actually been out of the red had been able to do it successfully and actually be like okay i can breathe like right uh, has it been a year has it been two did things click right after you got out of the classes when did it kind of start to pick up for you well it didn't change for me really until about april 
when I started over here at the Keller Williams Philly office. Um, so a little less than a year? Yeah, a little less than Coming a year. Up on your year yeah, actually, yeah, maybe um, maybe another three months, we'll say it's been a year. Yeah. So when I got here, the first thing I did was I hired a coach. And she basically taught me different things that made certain agents excel in the business. Can you give some examples? Sure. So one of the things that I wasn't doing at the Center City office was making cold calls to different neighborhoods, people, things like that. So when she first pitched it to me, I'm like, this isn't really a big deal for me. I'm coming from property management where people are calling in all times of the day about seeing different apartments and things like that. So I can do that. And then another thing that I implemented into my business was door knocking. So if I have a house that I'm selling in a neighborhood, I'll go from neighbor to neighbor, introducing myself, letting them know that I'm selling that house on the block and kind of introducing myself and see if I can get them to open up about who might be trying to sell a house on a block or who might be looking to move into the neighborhood. Interesting. So let's, for a case example, let's use my big brother spot. Sure. All right. So shout out big bro getting on his grizzly, just bought his first crib through Mr. Larry. Um, that spot was, I had obviously been renovated recently. How do how does it come into your radar? So actually, Ren had seen it like a while back before we even really got into looking. But the market in Philly was so hot and so competitive, it had already gotten an offer. So somebody was already pretty much buying it. So. Was it through you they were buying it? No, it wasn't through me. So I'm sorry if I'm an idiot, no. but... but I still don't quite understand how the game works in the sense of someone else is trying to sell it. They've got bites on it. How does it transition to you? So there are two sides of a real estate transaction, the selling side and the buying side. Just because I'm selling a house doesn't mean that I'm going to find the buyer as well. I'm probably representing one or the other. So in Ren's case, I'm representing him, but it's somebody else's house that they were selling. So an agent would link up with the seller, follow paperwork, put the property on the market with their sign and name out on the front. And then I would come along and show it to one of my buyers. And we kind of hash out the details between me and the other agent. And that's how we pretty much run through the transaction. Okay. So you are, do you often, are you often the agent for buyers? Um, Half and half, really. So you do both? Yeah. Okay. Um, so do you prefer one to the other? So in real estate, they say that they call it a listing when you're, when you're on the selling side. It's your house to advertise. Um, they say that that gives you the most leverage because people walking up and down the street, they'll want to see it, and you might be able to get a contract with them as a buyer. Um, me personally... I like being on the buying side because it's more of an experience and the the client is usually more excited. Yeah. Whereas on the selling side, you're trying to sell your house. You've got people looking at your stuff, your closet's dirty, yeah. your toilet's not clean, stuff like that. And you, you're feeling this fear and anxiety as is the house going to sell right. actually. So it's more of handling and and. You know, like things city like counseling that. Yeah, exactly. That. Okay, so let's go. Let's take it from the buyer's perspective first. So, um, someone like my brother reaches out to you, says, "Hey, Larry, um, I'm looking for representation, and 
this is kind of what I'm looking for. This is my pay scale or what I'm kind of looking to pay. And then you can decide whether or not to take them on, correct? Correct. And so in that process, couple things. One, do you often recruit new clients or at this point, do people kind of seek you out? Well, I'm always actively looking for so new you're clients. always looking for new clients. Always. Okay. And then in that, um, say someone listening was interested and wanted to use, use an agent, what are you looking for when you're screening a client? Well, first and foremost, how serious are you? Because anybody can say they want to buy a house, but if your lease isn't up where you're renting at for another year and you're not willing to break it, then you're not really that serious. You just want to look around and see what your options are. Yeah. And that's nice and all, and I'll definitely keep in contact with them, but my business only pays me when I sell the actual house. So I don't right. get paid for showing. I don't get paid for by hourly by Keller Williams. Yeah. You don't have to, to make my own money. Exactly. I, I exactly. need to close. So, um, so is it, mostly a kind of a time and duration thing where you're like, oh, like how much time before that person is actually serious about buying a house that you kind of, is that kind of a main factor? Well, one of the tools that I picked up um, from my coach was negotiating and understanding people's needs. So even if someone doesn't think that they're ready or just doesn't understand how it works, it's my job to inform you and educate you and help you figure out that you are ready. Yeah. And, you know, I'll give you an example for like a renter. If they're scared about owning a mortgage because they're paying a thousand dollars a month where they rent and they feel like, you know, if I was to buy a house of similar stand in, I don't know if I can afford it. You know, I wouldn't first tell them that you can afford more on your mortgage than you can with your rent because of the tax benefits, number one. And then you always have an option as the owner of the house to do something on the side. Like maybe you want to rent your basement out uh, for storage somewhere or you want to let a representative stay with you and charge them five or $600 a month. You just so, have more tools at your disposal. Exactly. In space. Exactly. That's dope. Um, and so, okay, cool. So then using my, you know, my big bro again as an example, um, he tells you he wants something on West Philly in between this and this for the range. Um, how does that crib that he ended up you know, selling kind of end up on your radar? So every everybody in the real estate business has access to what's called the MLS, which is the multiple listing service. And it basically will show us every property that's listed for sale in the Pennsylvania, Delaware, New Jersey area, and we're able to connect with the agent who's listing it and, you know, schedule showings and different things like that. And there are usually lock boxes on the property with the keys already inside. So we'll get the keys, alarm code if necessary, and just show it to them. But something that I do, a lot of agents don't do is I look for properties that aren't on the market that other agents aren't seeing and I'll reach out to the sellers or the agents for those and see if I can kind of be the first one in the door. Where do you find those? Just from beating the street, basically networking. Is there, is there at that point, there aren't like signs in the front yard or something like that? Or there are occasionally. And those are usually people who own the house and trying to sell it themselves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay, so as far as the negotiations go, when you take on someone like my brother, do you say up front, hey, if we sell this, this is my paperwork, I get 10% or I get 20%. I'm not sure what the percentages are. I'm just making those up. But 
is that something that's established from the front or is that established once the pro- How, walk me through the process a little bit of the so money. absolutely i think everybody needs to know what they're paying yeah. from day one um and i like to do a pretty good job of establishing that understanding because the last thing i want is we're getting to the table and you're asking me why am I paying this? Right. Why am I paying that? That makes me look bad and almost like a sleaze ball for oh, you not knowing the ins and outs. So uh, from the beginning, I'll explain the contract, explain what they're paying, and give them an idea of what the house might cost them on a per-month basis. So does the price that they pay, the buyer is paying, does that go up significantly if you're then hired as the agent? Not really, um, unless there are, there are rare instances where I'll charge a buyer. Um, certain transactions that I won't receive a you know profit from selling, and say if a house was only five thousand dollars and I was selling it to you, you know I probably wouldn't see much money from that. So I'll say, hey, this is my flat fee, and if I don't make that from the commission of the house, you have to pay me the difference. Gotcha. But other than that, usually the seller of the house is going to pay both the selling agent and the buying agent. Okay, cool. So it's not necessarily my brother that's paying you. Right. It's the seller that you are working it Correct. out with. Okay. And um, I apologize. I'm beating a dead horse. But what do you, when you're working with a seller... That isn't necessarily the person who owns the house, right? That's just maybe another agent or through an agency or something. Um, Are they the ones that is is in the sense of like they go back to their owner, work out what their deal, almost like a lawyer would, and then they bring it to the table. You work out your deal, you bring it to the table until you both kind of agree on something. Correct. It's sort of like we're mediating. So. A lot of times what people will try to do is say, I don't really need my agent. Let me go and work this out with this guy on my own. Right, that's what I was thinking. And end up shooting themselves in the foot because you just because you say one thing doesn't mean that you're going to get that on paper. And if somebody goes and tells, listen, I just need 20000 for this house. Okay, you just need 20000 Now here, take eighteen because nobody else is going to give you 20000 And if you don't take this, you're pretty much just going to lose out. This is why you need an agent who understands how the game works. The more offers we have, the more leverage we have. Right. You know what I mean? Absolutely. So, so, and let's, let's talk about that a little bit. So what now that you're in the game for a little bit, um, what do you think sets you apart from other agents? When you come to a client, you say, this is why you hired Larry Brown because you get X, Y, and Z. Well, I think like you mentioned earlier, um, and I and I'm don't I'm not throwing other agents under the bus by any means, but um, I represent honesty, transparency, and th- those are the things that gets me more business. It's not about you know knowing what percentages of houses sell and X Y Z. Even though I can throw those numbers at you all day, what's more important is getting the house that makes the most sense for you and is the best investment for you going forward and trying to get you as close as possible to what you want, not what's easiest for me to show you or sell you. Yeah, that's cool. And I think that's really rare. I think we might've spoken about this before, um, off air, but, uh, 
when I was looking for an apartment and dude, dealing with some of those agents <laughs> was nuts. Like it was, it just felt like some kind of crazy 15 minute pre-rehearsed spiel it was in and out they'd make some inappropriate comments and then hop in their little sports car and zoom <laughs> off and you know i'm there's a dust cloud that goes up and the papers kind of come <laughs> falling slowly down and i'm like what just happened you know what i mean like right. it, I c- it couldn't feel more like a transaction um and so with you as far as coming out as an as an agent um that wants to do it with integrity i feel like it's a game that stereotypically feels like it doesn't necessarily have that. How do you feel you handle it in the Philly market? Um, and what's it like here working as an agent? If someone's interested in getting into this profession, what advice would you have for them um, starting out? So I run into all sorts of things in Philly. Um, but it's it's definitely tough if you're not proactive, you're losing out. There are so many people moving into the city from New York, New Jersey, Delaware. There's so many things happening to Philly, so much new development. And right now we're outpacing any other market, right? So I didn't know that. Yeah, so if you're not like hustling every day, looking for something for your clients every day, looking for new clients every day, then you're just you're not going to eat, and I think that that's something that every agent, including myself, has to learn. Like day one, so my first my first thing when I come into the office, I'm checking my emails to see what I missed from the night before to make sure I'm not missing out any new clients or anything like that. And then I'm basically following through my schedule with calls being made to different people looking for new business. And, you know, kind of things just that'll generate more revenue for myself, right. you know, throughout the day. What percentage do you say, how much time do you spend in the office compared to out looking at properties, scouting, stuff like that, knocking on doors? Well, I don't know about a percentage. I might spend maybe 30% of my time doing work in the office because if I'm in here more times than not, I'm not making money. You know, right. my money is going to come from me showing houses or me meeting new people who want to sell their home. Yeah. That's where my money comes from. So if I'm in here, I'm on the phones or I'm I'm emailing and blasting social media, trying to stir up some buzz. Yeah. But most of the time I'm out rest, uh, you know, running, running the city, trying to find new people to work with. Um, and as far as, you know, anyone who's interested in getting into this, what qualities do you think a person um, should possess or have a strong handle on if they want to excel in something like this? I know you mentioned proactive. Um, what else might you add to that? So number one is going to be self-control. Because, <laughs> in what way? <laughs> so because you're, even though you're your own boss here, you're still an employee at the end of the day. And if you don't work because you have a headache or you just don't feel like it or Stranger Things is now streaming yeah, on Netflix, yeah. you know what I mean? You you eat that. You got to bite that bullet when in, it's January, February, and you're not closing anything and you're broke for Christmas. You know what yeah. I mean? So uh, having the ability to get up off the couch and come in here and do work, even if nobody's telling you to do it, is key. And then... You also need to be somebody who's not afraid to step out of their comfort zone. 
Because a lot of people, when they come here, oh, I'm not doing this. That's just not me. Yeah. You don't really know what's you until you try it out, which I'm sure you know. So I couldn't agree with that more. Yeah. Man. yeah. Uh, that, that, I think that's really interesting that you mentioned that. I, that's not what I was expecting, self-control. or um, is, there, is there a trait that you notice among successful agents? Is that sort of yeah. something? So what a lot of the more successful agents have that we don't is systems and those systems ultimately run everything for them. They they're, they're basically designed to keep that particular agent in check and make sure that they're doing what they're supposed to do. And something as simple as time blocking your calendar and making sure you're going to the appointments that you set up are, are key. If you're not doing those things, then you're not really, you know, doing your job. Yeah. Huh, that's interesting. Systems. Okay, if you're listening, systems. <laughs> Get up on that. Okay, interesting. So um, I guess moving forward, I've seen you post stuff about entrepreneurship, possibly hosting you know, workshops or classes. I, you know, I appreciate your, your ins- inspiration and kind of things you post about it because I relate to it. Unfortunately, it's so far from my reality at this point. <laughs> I agree 100%. I just don't have the proof of it yet. I like how on your bio, it's proven entrepreneur. Um, <laughs> at, at, at what point do you think someone can say, I've, I've established myself as an entrepreneur? Because that is a buzzword now that because that's popping. Um, every kid, you know, when I'm in these high schools, wants to be an entrepreneur. And, like, and they might claim that they are. And they'll be like, okay, so what do you want to sell? And they're like, I don't know. I'll be like, well, what do you do? They're like, I've got an idea for this. I'm like, okay, you've got an idea. Where's the execution? You know what I mean? It's a lot easier to talk about it or have a website, but let me see your revenue. Let me see a product. You know what I mean? At what point do you think you could, you probably said, I'm Larry and I'm an entrepreneur and this is why. Right. So in this business, what they, what a lot of people won't tell you is that, there's a good portion of agents who don't make it out their first year. And as sad as that is, it's the reality. Yeah. So if you can make it through your first year as a real estate agent, you can pretty much make it. Um, like I said, I've, I've already closed my first year. Well, maybe I didn't tell you. Uh, August made my first year as a, a fully licensed uh, realtor. Oh, that's what's up. Yeah. Man. So Congra- and, <laughs> so we the hardest part now. Yeah, basically, uh, you know, I've hit my ceiling already. So it's about taking my game to the next level. And, you know, looking back over my numbers now, I sell a home about every month. I said, yeah, last, I mean, October I had three closings. So, and that's, and that's rare for somebody in their first year. You know what I mean? And just, just realizing that and, and having gone through it, you know, I don't, I realize I don't have anything to prove now except to myself that I can do better than I did this last quarter. You know what I mean? And keep that mentality going forward. Yeah. I got nothing approved and no one except myself. Exactly. Um, if you were to go back and talk to Larry before getting into this game, what, now that you have that year down, and we'll revisit this in a few years, what advice would you give to your previous self when you were first getting in? Things that you know now, having been in the game for a minute, if you could sit young Larry down and say, son... I've been doing this for a little bit now. You know, I had three closings in October. 
but listen up because this is really going to help you out. What would what would that be? Wow. Uh, don't ever quit. Don't ever quit. You know, unless you have already seen the end of whatever it is that you're doing coming. Like, what do you mean? Too many times I've I've let people sway me from from starting something, from following something through. I, I'm just now um, establishing my LLC, which will hopefully be taken care of today. Yo, congrats, uh, yeah. bro! Thank you, thank you. That's and, tight. And that's something I should have did a while ago, but people are you know basically deterring me from doing certain things. And it took me until just recently to realize that. I have to do what I feel is best for me and see it all the way through to the end. And if the end is, you know, a year sooner than I expected, so be it. And I move on to the next thing. You know what I mean? Speaking of next things. Well, I appreciate that because that honestly, that's easier said than done. I mean, I think that's great advice myself. I struggle with that a lot. Um, you might have an idea of writing songs that you want to do or something. And people, you know, for my and then people say, oh, Kia, that's not you. Or, uh, you know, uh, your young folks, whatever they say, uh, so often I'll ask them, what do you want to do? And you'll see something flash across their mind. And then they'll say, ah, I don't know. I was thinking about being a parole officer or something. And I'm like, dog, I know there was something else you wanted to be. Like, you're right. just saying that because you think that's what I want to hear. Like, beca- and because maybe your mom, maybe your dad, your boyfriend's telling you you shouldn't, like, and then when you talk and they actually are really into making baking, you know right. what I mean? And I'm like, or they're really into just like hanging out and reviewing movies with their friends. And I'm like, this is the day and age to do that shit. Like right. there are people making 13 grand a month on YouTube, making silly YouTube reviews. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Or like more than that, you know? And they just talk about makeup. Like this is the day and age of anything goes. So like, fuck everybody and like do what you love but it's real and that's what i mean is it's hard because i'm influenced by that still where you know it's hard to try to be like ah, i love music and and still you know like i was telling you still doing the subbing or whatever you like i'm this i'm in my vitamin shop phase you, <laughs> you feel me uh, you know yeah. i'm just i'm just trying to make ends meet but um I, I i do respect that because i think the more that i am trying to listen more to it's like what and the reason is because I think why I am getting older and still doing this because I was late on the uptake of taking that advice of trying to please everybody else, doing college, doing everything, and so that man I couldn't agree with you more. I think that's awesome. Um, you now having that perspective, where do you see yourself? To, you said you hit a ceiling. Where do you see yourself taking this kind of the next level? What does? Um, you know, we don't have to talk about five years, ten years, whatever. We don't have to put, quantify it. But do you do you see yourself ever? Obviously, you got your own LLC. Do you see yourself ever having other agents working under you? Do you want your own business that's just with private clients and you sell bigger properties, so you make a bigger cut? Where do you sort of see yourself taking this? So, uh, like I mentioned to you earlier, I was never one for looking far into the future, but I realized growing up. You know, into a, a mature adult. That's part of life. Yeah. You have to you know exactly. You have to know where you're going, especially in business. So, um, my goal always getting into real estate was to start a brokerage um, that I could hire people growing up. You know, who 
didn't necessarily have ways to make good money because they didn't go to school or different things like that. Now I can teach them some of the really easy ways to make money in real estate and they don't have to go and interview somewhere with credentials that they'll never have. A thousand. Yeah. That's awesome, Larry. So that I was agree. always my goal. Yeah. That that is that's incredible. I was talking to someone the other night about how hard it is. Once you get fired once from a job, even if it's over some stupid shit, how hard it is because if you go through that traditional model of can we contact your old employers? Let us see references. Why did you jump from this job from three years and then you were here for a year? It, those things can be hard to explain. And sometimes it just comes down to dynamics being like, this part, this boss was a dick. And so I quit after, you know, which right. they can be hard to explain to employers. And I think it's cool that you're willing to possibly teach those skills and you want to do it with a demographic that isn't just about, let me get some hot shots out of Wharton. Right. Doing, you know what I mean? Right. Being like um, that aspect of wanting to kind of give back a little, if you will. Do you still have coaches, role models that you use now for, for when you get kind of stuck? So I definitely um, still have a real estate coach. I pay her basically every month um, to make sure that I'm being accountable for you know my results and um, making sure that I'm better than I was yesterday. I think accountability is something that a lot of people don't have. So when they're starting out on a new journey, it's easy for them to fail because nobody really cares except for them. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So you can kind of sweep all your failures under the rug. But now if you've invested money in somebody and they're checking on you and they're like, you know, listen, failure is not an option. So this is what you need to do and this is what we're going to do going forward. I think that is what ultimately you know, creates better people in the long run. Uh, to be honest, I hear a lot. You know, I follow some successful business YouTuber guys, and a lot of them talk about hiring. I mean, you can be super successful and still have a need a coach oh, because absolutely. it gives you that third perspective. Like you said, sometimes having that accountability, the, if you're paying for it, it's a different kind of accountability than you just telling your mom. Exactly. You know what I mean? She's saying, hey, do you do? It's like you got that coach there. What advice do you have for the listeners on when you are hiring a coach? Um, what do you look for? I want somebody who's brutally honest and not brutal to the point That's where, what I fuck with you. yeah, I'll, not brutal to the point where they're saying something to be spiteful or condescending, but don't sugarcoat it. If yeah. if I'm doing something that's not beneficial for my business, let me know because you know success leaves clues, and <laughs> you know people who are, yes, people who who have made it in this business, they they know how to do it. And you can replicate those results by just doing what they were doing. What are some examples maybe that you can that you'd be willing to share that your coach gave you um when maybe she kinda gave you that kick in the ass that you felt like you needed? So I was somebody big on um uh, creativity and implementing like these imaginative kinda ideas and going outside of the box. And when you do that, you're basically building something from scratch you don't know that that's going to work two years later because you're building it from scratch take what was already done and proven to work until that can't take you any further then you use your imagination and your creativity to get you over that hump but you can't ever stray away from the foundations that you built your business on and they have to be stable Uh, and i think that that goes for anybody 
can you give an example of what you mean by the creative things you're trying to? Yes, absolutely. Make? So, if you're if you're a baker, you know, obviously you, you have to follow the recipes, right, to make a good cake. But what is you know what's going to separate you from other bakers? You know. How you market your cakes? Are you are you putting your face on all your cakes, and now they're like Kia's cakes, and you <laughs> Yo, know what I mean? Yeah. And people are like, "Oh, this is a Kia cake because I recognize his face, and he puts his face on all of his cakes." So face you know, on all my cakes, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So you have to figure out what's going to separate you from the rest of the pack, and that's where your imagination and your creativity should take hold. Gotcha. How important with that do you feel like? is social media for you with your Larry Brown brand, if you will. Right. Um, I think social media is key in pretty much anything we do. There's so many people now who don't know anything about the world unless it comes from Facebook, Twitter, yeah. Instagram. And, you know, you could say it's sad, but, you know, it's a, it's a time that we live it's in. Reality, exactly. And even, you know, news stations and stuff are starting to get into that. People like yourself are doing podcasts where you're getting meaningful, you know, intelligent conversations out of people. And to me... I'm I'm not as strong on social media as I would like to be. I'm always, you know, listening to other people who are more successful than myself with social media and picking up different tips and tricks and things like that. So I haven't gotten it completely figured out just yet, but I do get business from it. Yeah. And I think that social media is a great way for anybody who's in any sort of business to stay in touch with the people that they're closest to and and return those people will share it with their friends yeah. and, and then their friends. So if you're pushing for something on social media, you have to be consistent. That's one thing that I do know. I, and I, you are. I think I think that's one thing I can definitely vouch for, seeing your posts. I appreciate is that. They're both consistent in um, quantity and that like I feel like I can always come to you for some sort of inspiration and in their message in the sense of it's very, it's very much honest. It's you. It's kind of a... Um, you got to do it yourself kind of DIY vibe to it. Um, All right. Well, Larry, before I get you out of here, I tried to give you about an hour or so. I know you're a busy man. Um, I got a couple questions that I kind of, they're sort of my uh, universal questions for this that that I'm curious about. So do you, do you read much? Yeah, you do. So what would be, if you had to gift um, maybe a couple of your favorite books that you feel like have been, doesn't have to be, um, folks on real estate, it could be uh, th- maybe three books that you feel like have had a, a lasting impact on you that you that you'd gift. Wow, I mean, I I'm gonna feel crazy for mentioning these because these are probably books that everybody talks about. There may be a reason for that, though. Uh, uh, yeah. So uh, right off the bat, I'm gonna say the 48 Laws of Power. I've heard about that before. I've been meaning to read that. Uh, No, it's not for everybody, but um, it definitely got me through my property management phase where these are people just like you and I have issues. You know, everybody has issues. They're short in their rent, et cetera, et cetera. You have to be able to detach yourself from the business and have a mindset where, you know, nothing's going to sway you. You have to be in control of, you know, what you can be in control of and the things that you can't, you got to kind of stay away from. You know what I mean? That's dope. Yeah, I need to, I need to get that. It's, yeah. It keeps popping up on my radar. I'm like, oh, now that you mentioned that, I'm 
I'm doing it. I'm sorry. I know. No, I know no, you, no, you're, you're fine. All right. So, and that's a great one. What else? Um, Two more. The light switch. Uh, that's what I've never heard of. So, it's an ex FBI uh, negotiator. Uh, <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, it's basically um, just talking about different experiences that he had uh, during his time with the FBI. Mm. And he's basically teaching you how to be, you know, influential and how to make people almost you know gravitate to you without you even really trying through different things like uh facial expressions or you know you know presumptive statements and things like that so i think that's great for people who are looking to build on their communication skills that's dope and um the third one um i i, I don't i mean everybody can't read it because it won't apply to everything but uh gary Gary Keller's uh, Millionaire Real Estate Agent. That book is has been, you know, the backbone of my business and so many agents' business in this, you know, office. What is it that he mentions? Uh, he basically it? teaches you everything you need to know to be uh, an agent who produces million dollars, you know, a, a you know a year, etc. Like he he teaches you that there is no limit a lot of what i've talked about yeah. in this uh interview has come from that book including the quote that success leaves clues oh cool. so um definitely if you're considering getting into the business or you're just looking for something to kind of structure your business around yeah you can read that book and i think it's phenomenal dope okay that's sweet man that's one i've, I've never heard of but i know it's also probably you know applicable to it's like i do much in real estate <laughs> um okay cool and then uh if you so if you had to give a TED talk on something other than real estate, mm-hmm. um, what would it be? Or another way to phrase this, depending if that's hard, is if you could be an expert in anything else other than your kind of main passion, what would it be? Um, I'm big on helping people, and I think that if I were to give a talk about something. It would be the people who haven't yet found their passion and just understanding that the world kind of revolves you know, around people helping each other. You know, businesses don't thrive unless people are consuming and in people like you supporting people like me and vice versa, we kind of build each other up. Yeah. So, you know, me not being good at music doesn't mean that I can't come to your shows, promote you. Or give me feedback on exactly. my shit. Exactly. Yeah. And then people build careers out of like that. Like as a realtor, only thing I'm doing is helping people get from point A to point B. I'm not really selling real estate. You know, I can't make anybody just buy a house. You know, I have to, it has to be the house that you want. Yeah. You know, and that's just my thing is help as many people as I possibly can, whether it be you know, driving my grandmother from the house to the supermarket or, you know, helping you find the next place that you want to rent. Yeah. You know, those are just some things that I think uh, will take people far in life. Dude, I agree, man. It, it's, it feels um, self-serving in a way, but often I feel like the people that are the most selfless have are the ones that are, have had a, a plenty of success at that point. You know what I mean? Where they have, they feel like, you you get yourself right, and then it's so much easier. You can help other people, and I think that's really fulfilling compared to sometimes the 
I've also met a lot of really rich, unhappy people. And right. I, so, and I think that that's kind of the X factor that's missing to the whole thing. Right. Like, you get your money and you get, you establish yourself, but at the end, like what makes it worth it? You know what I right. mean? Um, okay. And then a couple last ones. So this sure. is deep. <laughs> you can take it how you want to, but what's your reoccurring nightmare or your biggest fear? <sighs> wow. My reoccurring nightmare easily has to be, you know, failing at this point. Like I've, I've put everything into my business as a real estate agent. I'm not driving for Lyft or Uber. I'm not working in the, yeah, exactly. I'm not doing anything. This is it. So my nightmare is just giving up on myself and letting this all fall apart that I've worked so hard to build so far. Yeah. Dude, that, I think that's, that probably echoes how a lot of people feel about entrepreneurship. Right. Is that you don't got anybody else to blame anymore if shit goes down. Yeah. But it's also one of those things that I respect because you get out what you put into it. So you know if you're willing to persist and not watch Stranger Things and make, you know, <laughs> knock on those doors, whatever, to make it happen. That in a way, unless something goes crazy left field, you really can't fail. Right. Which is kind of dope if you know that about yourself. Right. Or some people. I just think are better if they have the structure and they have someone else to work. I don't think everybody's meant to be an entrepreneur. No, everybody's not. You're absolutely right. Um, so, okay, last one. Sure. Uh, as far as, um, you know, moving forward and stuff like that, um, if you had had to do some other career other than entre- uh, not entrepreneurship but real estate, do you think you would have always – an entrepreneur what else if you had to if you had to do something else what would it be i mean if i'm not playing for you know the golden state warriors <laughs> you know what i mean um if it wasn't real estate what would i be doing if college had worked out the dean had signed those fucking papers you graduated with psychology where would life you think have taken you well i'm i'm glad you said that because you helped me a ton um i always wanted to help kids growing up without their fathers or you know kind of be like a mentor like that was one of the things that I was doing while I was at Seton Hall and it's something that I've continued to do was reach out to young men like myself growing up you know not much you know of a role model to look up to things like that just looking for guidance and you know that that wisdom that they're not getting at home or out on the street Uh, I think that's something that I've always wanted to do, and I probably will do in one form or another, you know, in the future. So uh, definitely that, dude. Yeah. So I get that vibe too. I feel like, like I was saying, once you get your shit right, you get your systems down. I could totally see that you got that mentor streak in you. I could feel <laughs> like you're going that way. I, I relate. I, I really wish I could do something similar, but it's so hard at this point in my life when I don't have much career-wise right. to show because the kids they just don't i'm a sub you know what i mean i come in and i'm like i want to i want to drop that knowledge but I, like you said i think you kind of got to establish that credibility first and then they'll be like okay look at what larry's doing you need success leaves cute clues we need to listen to this dude you know right so dude i learned a lot from this shit hopefully the listeners did too if you want to know more about real estate if you're looking to buy a house whatever um Tell the folks where they can find you, where, if, if you have events, show ones coming up, you know, I can also, this is the end of the episode, but I can put all this shit in the show notes too. Um, 
where can people look for you? Well, I'm always on Facebook posting something. So That's Larry Brown, yeah, I'm the tall, handsome, brown skin guy. <laughs> uh, hey, you, you'll know find it. me, um, Larry D Brown, twenty four forty three. That was where my two jersey numbers in high school. So <laughs> that, that's on Instagram. I was wondering, about and that I'm show. on Twitter as Black Wall Street. But, <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> yeah. that's dope, bro. Yeah, but I'm not so active on Twitter, so you're better off following me on Instagram. Yo, on you Facebook. ever think about getting that name for something? I have actually. That's um, a dope name. Yeah, Black Wall Street. Yeah, I um. I thought about possibly putting out a book, um, you know, talking about my father's life and how much I've learned from a guy going from, you know, the street to the prison to the business side of life. Hell yeah. Um, So uh, something I'll consider later on. Absolutely, man. Yo, if you do, I want my residuals. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yo. No doubt. You heard it here first. Um, Rocking with Orion Radio. Thank you guys again for tuning in. You can uh, catch Larry, you know, everywhere he said, me, Kia Orion, all that jazz. Uh, Thanks again for tuning in. Deuces. Hey, hey, thank you guys again for listening. For real, for real. If you could leave a rating and tell me what you think, what you like, what you didn't, all that jazz. Uh, I appreciate uh, I appreciate the feedback. Alright. See you next week.